Well, God damn, it's good to be back on the Rad Habits Podcast. I miss you guys. Thanks for joining me once again. I'm George Krasaniak, and I'm sorry that I've been away so long. Honestly, I had let my whole December just become a ball of seething chaos, and all I could focus on was just making it through. So I didn't really feel like I had the right to get on the microphone and preach about the power of positive habits because I was in the midst of letting all my good habits slip, and I was just trying not to drown, and you know what? That's good. See, it's easy to beat ourselves up for not being where we want to be and for letting the circumstances of our environment slow us down. But what are we really beating ourselves up about? We haven't hit the benchmarks we wanted to hit by now. We didn't surround ourselves with all the prizes and possessions that denote success yet. Fine. That shit's all just temporary anyways. So, temporarily, we went a different route. Or at least I did. And, and you know what? I'm fine. Maybe I'm a little beat up from it. Maybe I'm set back a little. No fucking problem, guys. Of course, it's important to keep your eye on the prize, but take a moment to just appreciate the fact that you're surviving. And even if tomorrow you aren't, you aren't where you want to be and you may not be taking any great leaps forward, appreciate that you're still probably going to wake up again tomorrow and you've woken up all those other days before. Appreciate that shit. In this vein of thinking, there's a person I've been thinking about a lot lately. In 1920, when he was born, he was Chester. But by the time I got to know him, everybody called him Chet. And to me, he was Grandpa Chet. He was Grandpa Chet. He did his first little bit of growing up in Cicero, Illinois, just outside of Chicago. Now, he was nine years old when the stock market crashed, still very much a child as America entered the Great Depression. So the circumstances Grant Pichette was presented with as he came of age definitely weren't what he'd hoped. And nobody in his family knew just how they were going to make it through. But Chet learned real quick that everything is temporary. And he learned that if he just kept waking up and just surviving however he could, the depression was eventually going to come to an end. Now, Grandpa Chet was never as long-winded as I am. And he didn't talk much about those days of the depression. But the lessons from them were written all over his actions for anyone watching close enough. Chet used to tell me about when he was 11 or 12 and there wasn't any food for his family unless he walked two miles down the road to this farm where he'd work most of the day. And in the midst of the Depression, of course, the farm is suffering too, so there's not regular wages they could pay, but they could at least send Chet home with a big potato or a cabbage or two. So that's what he did. He walked two miles there to work all day in the field and get his potato and walked two miles back so his family could cook it up for dinner. Now I want to pause for a second just to throw this thought out there. When Chet was walking all those miles, it wasn't like the kind of traveling we do for work now. And I think there's something to this. Chet didn't pass a thousand billboards advertising ideas and products to him by which he'd measure his own success on the basis of possession. And there weren't selfies in those days. There wasn't grumbling about the job or the commute on social media, and there certainly wasn't this competition for likes and smiley faces and measuring oneself by comparison to the likes and smiley faces of their peers. On Chet's walk, there wasn't all the same bullshit input that we experience and use our energy to constantly measure ourselves by. And the strange thing is, 
Though he walked in the snow a lot of days, and it was cold and hard, and the work was hard, Grandpa Chet wasn't exhausted by this at the end of the day. He was happy to do it, happy to be home and give his energy back to his family. The need to survive and to provide for a family gave him a sense of very tangible purpose. Now, it's my opinion that some of the exhaustion we face, that you're probably quite familiar with, because I sure as fuck am, this exhaustion we face at the end of fairly sedentary days and this overwhelming sense of doom we sometimes feel just while we're trying to slog through our mundane daily tasks, I think it has a lot to do with the constant input we're taking in. I don't know, maybe I'm just tired of it and I'm projecting here, but I fear we're putting a lot of energy into adjusting our behavior as we go based on this wacky input that's totally new to our generation. And uh, we'll talk more about this later. Anyway, back to Grandpa Chet. Chet and his family were hard people for having endured the depression and they were lean. And for a long time, their existence was meager, but they survived. Chet lived to be 91 years old, and I'm sure no small part of that and of the vivaciousness with which he lived was out of a stubbornness he adopted at that young age, and he carried it with him all his years. Now, Grandpa Chet was known for being stubborn. He was stubborn against quitting anything, just as he'd been when he was just a kid putting his head down and pushing against the cold before sunrise to make his two miles to the farm for a day's work. Anyone who knew him, like him or not, at least seemed to respect him for his hard-headedness. And almost anyone would tell you that he could be the most stubborn son of a bitch you'd ever meet. In his 80s, as his eyesight started failing, doctors told him he shouldn't be driving. His kin was told to take his keys, which they did over and over again. And somehow he kept coming up with more. On December 22nd, 2010, he was found as if sleeping peacefully in the driver's seat of his Cadillac, which was parked in his usual spot at his favorite local diner where the waitresses loved and hated him because he was sweet and honest and stubborn as shit, he was dead. But it's not just the stubbornness of my dead grandpa that I want to talk about because I think there's other lessons I picked up from Grandpa Chet that are perhaps of even more value to us. And these are lessons that one might learn from just about anybody who grew up during the Great Depression. When I was a kid, my parents would kind of drop me off with Grandpa Chet for a large part of the summer because they still had to work, but Grandpa Chet was semi-retired, so I would just be his little buddy all day. And I remember vaguely one time visiting a butcher shop with him and him being handed this little package. And then later he puts whatever's in this package into a big pot on the stove and he gets it cooking and we go outside to work and we're working all day. When we come back in, the whole house smells delicious and he goes over to this big pot and stirs it around. It takes a taste. And he asked me if I want any oxtail soup. And he held up what looked like perfectly circular bones wrapped in just a thin circle of meat. And I was freaked out by the concept. I knew what oxes were. I knew what tails were. And in my mind, I'd always associated those as just two things you don't eat. Kids eat hot dogs, kids eat SpaghettiOs. It was a long fucking walk from the SpaghettiOs and peanut butter sandwiches I was used to eating at home. So I said, no thanks, man. And uh, I just didn't eat that night. He didn't make anything else for me. That's what he had made. And it was only later 
I learned that this was one of those practices that wasn't big with most Americans before the Depression. But as the Depression wore on, people learned to live on and even appreciate the bits of animals that we'd probably rather throw away today. He was in his 70s then, and he'd done well for himself. He could have bought steaks, or because I was there, he could have bought some burgers. But this was one of the things I admire most about him. If something didn't have any measurable return value to reap, he would not dedicate any more money or energy to it than he had to. And this oxtail soup, it was probably a treat for him, really, because he could have just eaten out of the garden, which he did, he did a lot of the time. Now, if I could go back, I would definitely try that oxtail soup in a second, because I realize now just how pretentious and wasteful I've been in my life. Though he was eating tails off of animals meant for pulling plows, he wasn't really sacrificing a single bit of quality of life. Now today we've got it in our heads that we have such a higher standard of living than people who lived in the depression. We have it in our heads that these cheap consumer luxury goods are some acceptable stand-in for a quality of life. We will pay $6 for a single meal from McDonald's of a Black Angus burger because we associate terms like Black Angus with doing well for ourselves. But whatever cow it came from, sorry McDonald's, but it's still just bullshit and your food sucks. And I'm not convinced anymore that dedicated artisans are raising and butchering your beef and making your sandwiches and the convenience of not having to get out of my car to get or eat my food no longer has the kind of return value that might equate to $6 for me. When you're broke and you have to physically count out and hand over six individual dollar bills, you can really appreciate the value of $6. I could feed my family for a day, maybe more, or I could have that, I could have that little McDelicacy. The patty-shaped black Angus pink mush turned brown and aged to perfection in McDonald's. So let's take this lesson from Grandpa Chet. We have to decide the real value of things. We can't let stupid product names and market research determine value for us. There's this other thing that Grandpa Chet made me think about too. I'd like us all to think about what we're using. I know a lot of you who listen to the podcast are concerned with personal finance, and some of us are concerned about our effect on the planet. Let's take some lessons from people who grew up during the Depression, and you will see how much we're just throwing away. Do you pay extra for the potato that's individually wrapped in plastic? Get the fuck out of here! If you really want to save money or do your part for the environment, try this. Go to the home of someone who lived during the Great Depression and ask them where they keep the paper towels. I did that to Grandpa Chet once, and he thought I was crazy. He's like, why would you buy anything that you're going to use once and throw away? And in fact, throw every last bit of it away, including a mass of extraneous packaging. Especially when there are things probably already right next to you that can do the same job over and over. The dish rags at my grandparents' house. Now I believe they were leftover bits of flannel shirts that had become too worn out. And then my grandma would cut them into squares sew up the edges so they wouldn't unravel, and they were hung on a line to dry after they were washed, and they lasted for fucking ever. They cleaned everything. I don't ever remember my grandpa having to take out the trash because they produced almost zero garbage. Don't get me wrong. 
I think luxury and rewarding yourself is great, but we are being presented the illusion of luxury left and right, and we're buying it. And then our constant pursuit for more luxury, since we're left with this void because we don't really have luxury, because it's not really a better standard of living. So then we pursue it more and more so that we can measure up to everyone else who's also pursuing luxury. And in this pursuit, we're sacrificing real experiences. Grandpa Chet saw right through this bullshit. He had two luxuries that I know of. He had a cigar in his mouth almost all the time, and he had a sweet-ass Cadillac. Now, choosing a cigar that you will enjoy as you contemplate life and relish your victories is one thing. Having a choice of 20 colors of Mountain Dew is bullshit. That is not a luxury. Cheap consumer goods, even if there are tons of them and you can fill your life full of those fuckers, they do not equate to quality of life. When your lizard brain wants you to reward yourself, ask it if the thing it's craving is a real reward or is it a stand-in for quality of life? Is it to patch a void in a moment and when that moment passes, are you going to need more shit to fill that void? This was something that Grandpa Chet did with everything he spent his money on. He did not spend money on useless shit, and so he was a hard sale. I'm sure salesmen absolutely hated Grandpa Chet. But this brings me to another point. One of the reasons Grandpa Chet didn't care about filling his life with useless consumer garbage was that he wanted to be who he wanted to be, and he did not distract himself in the slightest with other people's bullshit. And that allowed him to do everything he set out to do. He did not bother with the distraction of judging others' feedback on him. And that liberated him. That's one of those traits people from the Depression era tend to possess. Life is full of people giving you unsolicited feedback and telling you that you need to look this way, you need to act this way, you follow this path, and you'll be healthy, wealthy, and wise. And... When the stock market crashed and the depression sunk in, all that shit that people like that had said suddenly proved to be useless. And if people had stayed on that path of bending to every opinion of themselves they saw, they would fucking die and starve and suffer the whole way there. We live in an age where we're dealing with more people in a single day than people a few generations before us may have met in their entire life. And we're constantly receiving feedback from them. Right now, you're probably seeing likes and angry faces on your every single move on social media. Or we're getting yearly evaluations and performance reviews at work. But we're also getting these constant little cues too, this constant input of people's tones of voice and little facial tics and expression and body language when people are around us. And sometimes consciously, but mostly unconsciously, we're adjusting our behavior to this. And that's not all bad because you don't want to be an asshole and we're social creatures. We want to get along with people. Mirroring them is one way we do that. But now we're doing it with so many people in a day that we're exhausted by it. And it becomes such a deeply ingrained habit within us that we start adjusting our behavior when we don't want to. 
and we adapt our behavior to appease terrible people sometimes. And then you feel bad about it and it gnaws at you when you're home at night or at least you feel drained of your willpower at the end of the day. So there's where there's value in taking some time to be alone, to chomp that cigar and think about things or take some time to yourself when you can just be silent and reflect on the path you're on. So basically, keep track of who you want to be and when you're dealing with people, don't be quick to react to the feedback you're getting. Take a moment to check yourself and see if you're being true to the person you want to be. Anyways, let's see if I could tie the advice back to my 20 types of Mountain Dew premise from earlier. I found that when I'm not being true to myself and I let stupid external forces nudge me off my path, that's when I'm most likely to try to fill the void in my life with cheap, shitty consumer goods as if they can be some proxy for the quality of life I wish I was working towards. And remember how I've talked a few times about your creature brain, your lizard brain, wanting you to do the things that will make you feel good in the moment? That means that when you feel shitty because you're letting yourself slip to mold your behavior to a shitty person at work, for example, when you get home, your lizard brain may convince you to satiate yourself with junk food or porn or shopping or whatever your go-to feel-better-right-this-moment bad habit is. But how do you feel once you've done that? When I cave to lizard brain cravings like that, I just feel worse afterwards. And then I keep trying to satiate myself with other meaningless stuff. And that makes me feel better in the moment, but then I feel worse. And you can see how bad habits here just reinforce each other. It is easy to get into a rut this way. And that rut can last your whole lifetime. And a lot of the time we're too busy, we're too overwhelmed, and we're too distracted to claw out of the rut. But I found a cure for that shit, and I learned it by analyzing Grandpa Chet and eventually experimenting with it on my own. You can break that little cycle, more and more shit that feels good just briefly and then feels bad, by doing shit that feels good, maybe even shit that feels bad in the moment, and then makes you feel better after. Okay, George, you binged a few seasons of a show you're not even sure you like on Netflix, and you drink the three newest colors of Mountain Dew today? Oh, and now you feel bad about yourself? And your piss is black, George? Well, run. Hit the bag. Work on the podcast. Volunteer. Phone a friend. Teach someone something or learn something. Or stretch. Trim your nails. Fuck! Any little thing can do it. But the more you do it, the more you're going to start filling your life with things that make you feel good. Grandpa Chet... He pretty much only did shit that made him feel good. He might start his day taking target practice off the back porch with his old cowboy revolver. And when his young grandson woke up to the sound of gunfire, he might teach him just how to put a couple holes in a Hills Brothers can. And that felt pretty good just then, and was something he probably felt good about later. So then, feeling good, Chet might head to the diner to shoot the shit with his buddies over coffee and dirty jokes. Or he'd hop on a stallion and chase a calf around the backyard. He'd whiz a rope under its back hooves and then jump off the horse, land at a sprint, and tie the calf up just for the fun of it and the other benefits of practicing and sharpening a skill. So take this lesson from Grandpa Chet. Don't let yourself feel bad. Just be badass and do what's good and what you'll feel good about a week down the road. And when you do that, you won't fall for tricks that say meaningless products equate to a greater quality of life because you already have a great quality of life. 
People with nothing are able to do this. People who have no consumer goods whatsoever are able to find happiness. We have everything and we are so fucking miserable with it that we need medication just to endure the tedium and stresses of our single fucking day. I'm sorry, but it just seems this concept that we need more and more stuff and that the best thing we can be in society is a good consumer is a concept that is literally killing us and it's making us miserable too much of the time. And we forgot to cherish the things like a single fucking potato out of the dirt, like a cigar and a quiet moment, like a couple of fucking rounds into a coffee can. We're forgetting all of this shit and we're wearing ourselves out on bullshit. And then we're too tired to do anything else because we're in this pit of convenience where we have individually wrapped irradiated for freshness, potatoes in abundance. We don't know the simple joy of walking into a house to smell the warming aroma of the oxtail soup because we fill our stomachs with neon green sodas from the gas station and we think, oxtails sounds gross, chug, 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 calcium, disodium, erythorbic acid, brominated vegetable oil, mmm, that's the stuff. Bring me your finest black Angus bullshit burger and an Android device, please. Motherfucker, you are an Android device now. But I digress. Next time on the podcast, let's talk a little bit about our tie to the earth and to anything that's real and tactile and has some history and how we're losing it. And it's fucking us up because that ties in pretty well with this. For now, know that Grandpa Chet has returned to the earth. He's buried on a Missouri mountain in an old cemetery, almost in the wilderness. When I was driving up the mountain to bury Grandpa Chet, I watched two eagles come down from the top of the mountain and circle over the procession. And I don't know what it means yet, but I still see them in my mind. And it reminds me there's still a part of us that's very wild. And we're trying to satiate it with chemicals and luxury items. And it's not fucking working. But anyways, I see those eagles circling the procession in my mind. And I think of the hard-headed, bad motherfucker who left me with all these lessons. Do things you enjoy. Don't waste your time and money and concern on bullshit. And to thine own self, be fucking true. Now, I don't usually do this, but in honor of that moment and of my grandpa Chet, cowboy, badass, my hero, I'm going to send you off with some music I probably shouldn't be using. And I'll change it if Danzig ever calls and asks me to. But for now, thank you, everybody. I will see you next time. Don't lose our